Welcome to the Teamwork Advantage Podcast with Greg Gregory. Join us as Greg interviews powerful thought leaders and successful team and leadership experts from across the country on teamwork, leadership, and organizational culture. Now let's check in for this week's episode. Welcome to the Teamwork Advantage, a podcast that's dedicated to the growth and development of teamwork, leadership, and culture. Hi, I'm the founder and host of the Teamwork Advantage, Greg Gregory. And wow, what a day this is for me on multiple levels. First off, this is our first episode of our fifth season on the Teamwork Advantage. Um, we started the podcast right at the beginning of the pandemic. Not sure how long the pandemic would go. And here we are still dealing with it with all kinds of crazy threats from all over the world with different types of viruses. And we're still going strong and we're getting guests like the one I'm so excited about today. Guys, you, I guess you could say I'm starstruck, fanstruck, whatever word you want to use, even though it may be certain things, but I'm so excited. Um, a few weeks ago, we had the opportunity to interview um, David Covey with uh, Stephen Covey's son. And today we get the person, the son of the great Zig Ziglar, Tom Ziglar. And for those who don't know who Zig Ziglar is, just Google him. I mean, is that, is that a safe way to say, Tom, just Google him? Yeah, if you got a couple of months. Yeah, I got a couple of months. There's enough <laughs> stuff out there. Um, Zig is the reason I do what I do for a living. Uh, the podcast is fun. I do for a living, help organizations get better teams, help them work better with their leadership. And um, long about 1995, I sent a letter down to Carrollton, Texas, to Zig Ziglar, because I wanted to look at getting into this industry. And he responded back to me with a letter. And I got to admit, I still have the letter. I forgot to pull it out, Tom, but I've got the letter. And I didn't think he signed the letter because I didn't think that was a manly enough signature. In the letter, he said, please stop by my table in Baltimore, and I'd love to say hello to you. Now, if you've ever been to a Zig Ziglar event, there's like 15,000 people at this event in Baltimore, and I think it was the first Mariner Arena at the time. A friend of mine was with me, and we stood in line. I think there was about seven or 800 people in line in front of us. We got to the front of the line, and Tom, your dad stood up and looked at me and saw my name tag and said, Greg, how are you? Thanks for following up and stopping by like I asked you to do in my letter. And that letter was three months earlier. I was mesmerized. I had seen your dad speak a number of times. And his zigisms still resonate with me today. You know, and that's, that's the power of it. But folks, enough about that. I want to get into our guest today because Tom's got a lot on his own carrying on the Ziegler uh, Foundation and the... Uh, carrying on all the legacy that Zig put out there. But Tom has had the rare privilege of, and I'm going to use the words he's got in his bio here, spending his entire life surrounded by world-class leaders, innovators, motivators, family dinners with his dad, Zig Ziglar. Tom's arsenal of experience and information is absolutely unparalleled in the way we look at life today. His latest book is out too. And his, his latest book is about... 10 Leadership Virtues for Disruptive Times. And don't we know we all have that? 
Currently, he's the CEO of Zig Ziglar Corporation, carries on the Ziglar philosophy. And one of the great quotes, and probably one of my favorite quotes is, you can get anything in life you want if you will help enough other people get what they want. That, that has just always been one of my philosophies going forward. His first book was called Choose to Win in 2019. And as I said, his latest book, Leadership Virtues for Disruptive Times, was just released in December of 2021. Um, if you want a more productive, fulfilling life, you know, it is available to those who are willing to follow his easy to implement sequence of making one small choice at a time. And another zigism, inch by inch, it is a cinch by the mile, it will be a trial. See, I still remember all these off the top of my head. That's just the crazy part. That's how much of an impact Zig has had on me. Um, he's going to help you work through some things here. We're going to talk about a lot of that today. He speaks around the world today to billion-dollar companies, small business owners, prestigious academic institutions, including Cambridge and Harvard, leadership business, and performance among his favorite topics. Tom, wow. Welcome. I'm excited to have you on board here. Well, Greg, thanks for having me on. I'm, I'm thrilled and honored. It's, it's exciting to, to meet you. <clears throat> we, we talked a few weeks ago. Um, but this is the first chance we've had a chance to really see each other in a face-to-face -face on our Zoom line. And folks, to, just in case you're listening to this and you want to see a little bit of this, you'll go, be able to go to YouTube and find, uh, find our podcast there as well. But Tom, I want to get into some things here a little bit. First off, I got to ask you, was sitting at the dinner table with dad like attending a seminar? <laughs> You know, it's interesting because he was an he was an introvert, uh, pretty pretty quiet around the house, uh, always present, and you know he would really get excited about the family conversation, mm -hmm. uh, and so whichever direction it would go, and then it was a little bit like a seminar in the sense that he was always reading and researching and working on new stuff, and so he would. He would roll it out at the dinner table or when we were playing golf or when we were sitting watching the Cowboys, mm -hmm. whatever that uh, situation was. And, and so I was always kind of getting an insight into what was next because mm -hmm. uh, he was on this like continuous quest of how, how do I um, communicate and, and impact more people in a way that they take action. And, and so he never, was satisfied with, well, that worked two years ago. It'll probably work today. He knew the principles never changed, but the way you could communicate it, the, the stories and illustrations, the research, the studies that would back it up could always be brought up to date. And when something is meaningful to me right now and I can remember it, I'm more likely to use it. And so that was kind of his, his quest, right? Was to always be learning and sharing. And I understand that because I had the opportunity um, I think it was 1999 at the National Speakers Association Conference. Um, I kind of was late doing some things because I was doing a little bit of work and I missed breakfast. So I walked in to get breakfast and everybody was already into the main session hall. And there was your dad and mom. And I sat down with them for about 45 minutes just to chat. And what you just explained right there is exactly what it was like sharing, talking about new things that are coming up. And that was wonderful. Now, did your mom have uh, some, 
was she on board with all this or did oh, yeah. she get a little tired of it at times? <laughs> no, she was, uh, you know, dad said you'd never heard of Zig Ziglar if it wasn't for the redhead. And mm -hmm. of course that's what he called her. And mom, um, her, her nickname was the happy hugger. Uh, she would, you know, if it, if, if she saw somebody, she'd stop what she's doing and go hug them. And it didn't matter really that much if, if it was somebody she'd known forever, somebody she'd just met, or even sometimes a stranger, she'd just <laughs> strike up the conversation. Yep. And, uh, and so she was very much uh, into the people there. And, and dad really loved that about mom, that they could go together. And if, if it was a place where he was speaking, you know, when people saw him, they would just, you know, they would come over to him and, and, and talk. But when they were just out, you know, on the town or shopping or whatever, mom was kind of the, uh, the one who made the, the connections and everything. And, and so they were just a great team and, and mom yeah. loved it. Yeah. My late wife, um, we were at the grocery store one day and I was my normal jovial outgoing self. And the cashier looked and says, wow, is he always like this? And my wife went, yep, pretty much. And she, the cashier says, wow, that's pretty cool. My wife goes, not really. <laughs> so uh, I, was, I was always curious about that. And by the way, I was the recipient of one of those hugs from your mom. So what I want to talk about, though, is this. And you said something very interesting a couple of minutes ago. The principles and philosophies do not change. And I think that's so true. Those principles, values, philosophies have not changed for thousands of years. How we communicate it and deliver it does. So in the last few years, we've been in disruptive times. Your book comes out right now and talks about the 10 leadership virtues for disruptive times. And the virtues, are, are the virtues the same? Have they changed? What's, what's really changed in the last few years? The, you know, probably the, as I started studying the trends um, and kind of the backstory on the book is I'd, I'd done a two book deal with Thomas Nelson and the first book was choose to win. I had no idea what the second book was going to be. Choose to win came out in 2019 and Nelson said, that's okay. You got some time. Well, it was time. I'd started writing the book at the end of, uh, 2019. And then the pandemic happened. And it totally changed the book. Uh, we couldn't go anywhere. And so I started thinking, well, how is business is how's business going to change? You know, what's what are these impacts? And of course, all the work from home and all these different dominoes. I mean, I remember laughing thinking about Amazon, they probably had a 10 year plan to up their market uh, penetration of people over 70 by 5%, you know, <laughs> if we could just get more of that market segment demographic over 70 over the next 10 years, if we can just grow that a little bit, that'll be awesome. And then, you know, in two weeks, <laughs> they hit their, they hit their 10 year goal, right? Like almost overnight. So there's all these changes because everybody learned how to shop online. I mean, if, if you were technology resistant, you didn't have a choice anymore. And so I really started studying what changed. And there was a couple of big changes. So the values, the virtues, they didn't change. But people's priorities in life 
started to get far more uh, intentional and foundational. Mm-hmm. And so what I mean by that is uh, when, when people, I call it the, the reality of uncertainty, meaning that, hey, life is uncertain. I don't know where I'm going to work. I don't know where I'm working from. I've gotten friends and family and, and team members who've been sick and they've been impacted. And I've got, uh, I've got kids running around in the background. And oh, by the way, <clears throat> the certainty of mortality, you know, we all lost somebody. And if you're younger, especially, that's, it, it never happens on a national scale where we all go through it together. And so for the first time, a lot of people realize, wait, uh, I, I'm not guaranteed tomorrow. Yeah. And so collectively, people started saying, I want my life to matter, right? I want, is the work that I'm doing, is it really what I was made to do? Is it satisfying? Or, or did I just get a recommendation out of high school to go work somewhere so I could pay the bills and pay for that first car? And then I did pretty good and I got a promotion and that took me over here. And then somebody else said, come do this. So there was really no intentionality in the path or there was intentionality in the path, but it was focused on climbing the ladder and making as much money as possible. Mm -hmm. In both of those cases, they go home and they go, wait a second. What's really important is my health, my family, my relationships, my quality of life. And so dad had a quote in the seventies. You probably Uh, remember hearing it because he said it forever but it it was really prominent in his recordings in the 70s and the 80s he said this he said that that if if standard of living is your goal quality of life almost never goes up but if quality of life life is your goal your standard of living living almost always goes up up. i remember that and so that's what's really happened in the last couple of years. We've seen all these workplace pr- productivity gains from remote workers, as well as uh, lifestyle improvement. You know, Apple's trying to get people to move back to headquarters and they're not doing it. Uh, a lot of companies are frustrated because they want to move them back to the office. But people are like, wait a second, I'm living near the mountains. I'm living near the beach. I'm living near my family. My cost of living is 30% less than in the city. And I'm being more productive than I've ever been. And you're telling me that I've got to move back. And there's a lot of, because of the tight labor market, there's a lot of companies who are happy to give that person a raise and let them work remotely. Yeah. Uh, and so the, the, the virtues haven't changed, but the people's priority in, in elevating those virtues has gone up. It's become more present. And so leaders have been in a real conundrum because uh, I just read a stat last week. You may have seen it. They call it the loyalty tax. If, if you've been employed somewhere for two years or longer since the pandemic, you're probably, this is a national average, you're making 7% less for the same job as somebody who was hired in the last year. <laughs> part so of that I wonder, goes to the fact that people are not asking for a raise or they're coming in saying i deserve this raise they're instead they're that's what they're thinking but 
In fact, if they go, I've earned this raise, I've been loyal. If they use the word earned this raise as opposed to deserve this raise, I think they start to see a difference in the results on that. Yeah. But so if they have to ask, if they don't ask, they won't get. Yeah. And, and so I, I, I'm just asking the leaders out there, um, if, you've, if, you, if it's a tight labor market and you can't hire anybody because there's, there's not enough candidates, and so you're going to offer more money to bring them in because that's what it takes, and you look at the people who are still on your team who've been loyal, why aren't you raising them? And if, you're, if you say, well, they, they're not worth it, then why aren't you either replacing or developing them? You know, cause it's like, wait a second. It's, it's a catch 22. Uh, and I know so many people who have, and, and here's the other thing is from an, a, an individual perspective, far too many people are running away from something rather to something. So they're in a toxic environment where they are and they get a raise of 10 or 20% somewhere else. Well, they're happy to leave. Well, Gallup says that if, if, uh, if it's a, you know, if somebody has a great relationship with their leadership, if they like where they work, it takes a 20% increase to lure them away. And so all of these things are coming and, but people now are saying, you know what, I'm not going to sacrifice my quality of life. I'm not going to spend an hour and a half commuting like I used to. Right. And, and, and so we've got to adjust to that. So the virtues, what the book really gets into is this, how do we attract, develop, and keep top performers? That's the punchline. Okay. The great segue here. I want to go through it. I'm just going to read off the virtues for everybody. Okay. I don't think I'm giving anything away in the book. I'm just going to read off the 10 virtues. Okay. Virtue one is kindness, then selflessness respect, humility. That's under the section called, who do we need to be? I think that's so powerful that we hit those. And I want to make sure I address a couple of those here in a moment. Section two is, how do we need to be? And that's self-control, positivity, and looking for the best. Then section three is, what needs to be done now? And that gets us into being the light, which I think is powerful, never giving up. And I want to make sure I address something from that section. Standing firm is the 10th virtue. Those are all great traits. And what you do in the book, what I loved is you actually give us simple tips on how to do these. And that's, that's what you start to recognize. So I want to just kind of jump right into it here. And I want to read something out of chapter four, the selflessness page. And this is something I think is very applicable in today's world, especially here in the United States, keeping in mind that I know we are downloaded in uh, what, 39 countries right now around the world, but there's a lot of challenges with violence in the United States. And I just want to read the, the, the opening paragraph from chapter four. It says, my dad and I would often split things such as dessert or a small loaf of bread. One of us would cut the food into two pieces. The other would pick up the piece he wanted. This is a rather common way for families to teach fairness. As I grew older, I began to realize how selfless dad and mom were regarding my sisters and me. They always wanted the best, and they sacrificed that for us all the time. 
And you go on to talk about how one time your dad goes to take the smaller piece because he's teaching you a lesson. But you say, dad, no, I want you to have the bigger piece. And that's the selflessness that's taught to you. How old were you when that started happening? Oh, from the very beginning. Uh, I mean, that wasn't like, oh, no, it's time to teach selflessness. <laughs> it was <laughs> it was demonstrated. But that incident that you're talking about, I think I was somewhere in the neighborhood of 10 to 12. And I was just becoming aware that there was there was a deeper message behind the things that dad did. And uh, I remember distinctly, we had had a great day together. And, you know, I think I can't remember. I, th I think what had happened is he said, let's grill some steaks for dinner. And he cut the meat and there were three steaks, two of them about the same size. And then the third piece was smaller. And we each got our steak. We finished it. And then we're both eyeing the third piece. He says, you want to split it? And I said, sure. So I go to cut it. And in the middle of cutting it, I'm thinking, wait a second, I'm going to see what dad does. So instead of cutting it 50, 50, I cut it 70, 30 or 65, 35, just to see, of course, yeah. of course I looked up while I was doing it and you could see the horror on his face <laughs> <laughs> because we both love steak. Uh, and so immediately he reaches in and, and grabs a little piece. And I'm like, no, dad, I want you to have the big piece. And it was just really fun to, because uh, it was one of those, that's right, boy, uh, moments, right? And he used to say, that's right, boy, whenever uh, he would say something simple and profound, right? That was so obvious, uh, but so often um, not acknowledged or even ignored that was just one of those moments where, yeah, it's, it's selflessness. And, and here you, you mentioned violence uh, that's going on. And of course the school shooting that we had uh, the cultural problem is this, the culture says, Hey, you know what? Just be happy. You know, whatever it takes to be happy, you, you get to, you know, whatever you need to do to serve yourself, because the most important thing in this world is you right? You're, you're number one. Uh, and you need to do whatever it is. You can, you can uh, take on any identity uh, that you want. If it makes you happy, that's what it's all about. And so the problem with that approach is it eliminates uh, courage and focuses on self-preservation, right? Because, that, yeah. I'm on the other side. I believe there are things worth dying for. Um, truth, freedom, you know, right. family. I mean, mm -hmm. these are, these are things that I'm worth dying for, but if we're taught every day, no, 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 it's about you, whatever you decide, whatever your truth mm -hmm. is, that's what's important. Yeah. Right. And so, so you'll see, um, so you'll see people make decisions regularly and you can tell where they're bent, right? They're either in a selfless, Hey, I'm in a position. My, my role is the coach and I call them coach leaders. My role is the coach leader is to inspire, equip, develop, encourage, support the people on my team to be better tomorrow than they are today. And to put them in the spotlight, to make them shine and the better they do, the better I do. 
And I don't mind taking the small piece of steak because at the end of the day, uh, you know, my victory is only because I'm helping them grow, right? I'm helping them get what they want. When I help them get what they want, it works out for me. You see leaders that are bent that way. And then you see leaders that are bent the other way. Uh, hey, if it wasn't for me, none of this would be going on. If, if, you know, I did that. If it's good, they did that. If it's bad, it's. Mm -hmm. you know. That's been a challenge for years, unfortunately. And it's, it's becoming more prominent today. There is the mindset. And I think this is where the whole philosophy came from up front was I've got to help myself first before I can help others. The problem is the challenges today, people are not going back to help others. They're only thinking of themselves. Am I about right in that thought process? Yeah. Um, I, I teach, there's a, there's a quote that I love. Um, and it goes like this. Um, how can you give someone something you don't have? Yeah. Right. And so I, I like to say, I've got to develop myself first rather than help, you know, right. self-help is kind of an oxymoron. If it worked, you know, <laughs> why do we, <laughs> why do we buy books on self-help? <laughs> you know, it's like, it makes yeah. no sense. Right. Yeah. So we need outside help. And, and, and so we've got to develop ourselves so that we can help others. So I like the word develop rather than help. And, you know, you hear self-care and things like that. Um, that's a very, very important thing, but you're right on. People mm -hmm. have forgotten the second half. Why do we develop ourselves? I believe our purpose, and this is, this is a general purpose. I think people have their individual purposes, which might be a little different, but I think we're all here to serve our fellow man. Yeah. yeah the and the more that, we help yeah. each other, John Kennedy's great quote from the 1960s, a rising tide raises all ships. And if we work together in that, so in this chapter, you talk about how to develop healthy selfless, selflessness for the team. And there's two things right up front that just really jumped out at me. And the first one you've already alluded to, gratitude for your team, letting them know how grateful you are for them and giving them the praise that they deserve. Can you expand on that just a little bit more? One of the, um, and, and I'm going to get in, um, first, let me say a general statement, and then I'll do a little uh, neuroscience, and then I'll talk about what you just said. The, the 10 virtues, here's, the, here's what we read every day. The experts say, just love your people. Be empathetic. Love them, have empathy. But then nobody tells you how to do that right? There's no how-to in it. And so the 10 virtues, like you said earlier, that's the how-to. This is a how-to book. It's tips on it. Mm -hmm. And so selflessness is a how-to on how to show and demonstrate love. Because if I, Greg, if I love you in my head and never tell you and never behave in a way that shows you love, then it doesn't matter because you have no idea. And that was the challenge I had with my dad. I don't know that I ever told my father, I love you before he died. It was not something that men said. And my father was of that generation and just 
We just never did. We knew it, but we never said it. So I get that. Okay. Yeah. And, you know, you can say it in words or you can say it in deeds. And I think you should do both. Mm -hmm. But the point is, is that if, if, if there's not something that can people, you know, I love this wise saying about politicians. <laughs> don't, don't, don't pay any attention to the words they use. Just look at their behavior. How do they vote? What do they do? You know, because you can't trust the words. It's sad, right? It's like, and, and so our people on our team, they're going to look at our behavior. And so the way the brain works is if we're under pressure, if we're in a time of disruption, if we're under a threat, right? And disruption, whether good or bad, it feels like a threat, right? And so our brain goes into fight, flight, or freeze, right? That's a natural thing. Yep. The amygdala does its action. And we shut down. And what that does is it eliminates creativity. And so one of the ways that you get yourself out of that mode is gratitude. Gratitude and fear can't really operate in the same space. It's just like faith and fear, right? So I will say that again, gratitude and fear cannot operate in the same space. Go ahead. Right. So if you start keeping a gratitude list about everything you're grateful for, and then you specifically get grateful on a, on a person by person basis, when you start thinking of why you're grateful for that particular team member, you know, maybe they've got a certain skill, maybe they, 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 they handled a certain situation in a fantastic way. Maybe they had your back. Maybe they're always participating in the meeting and they make the meeting go better. Whatever that list is, so what you're not doing, just, I'm grateful for Bob in my life. It's grateful for the actions of X, Y, and Z that Bob does. Exactly. And so what that does is it turns off the, 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 the fight, uh, flight and freeze and it allows creativity to come in. Okay. Right. And creativity is where we've, where we moved from, we we've now moved from problem to solution. Right. And then when you get the team involved, they go from creativity to innovation. Exactly. It starts to pull it together. Collaboration, innovation, all the things that we want. Mm -hmm. And so selflessness is realizing that there's, there's, you know, if you're a leader and you've got 10 years of experience or 20 years of experience, that's awesome. But if you have five or six people on your team and each one of them's got five or 10 or 15 years of experience, then collectively they got way more experience than you do. Yeah. And so that's something to be grateful for. And when you start tapping into that and start asking them questions on, Hey, what would you do? What have you done in the past? What, what do you see on this? And you, and, and you put planted in your mind, this idea that, Hey, they've got certain skills and experiences I don't have access to then you start to get grateful. Well, when they feel that and they see that and they see the questions that are coming out of gratitude instead of entitlement, the opposite of gratitude is entitlement. Then all of a sudden, the collaboration and innovation starts to flow because the brain mm -hmm. opens up. All these things start to happen. And so it starts with selflessness. Meaning, it's interesting. 
meaning so going down the line it's interesting because when we do this we're allowing ourselves as a leader to be more vulnerable which is opening that up to be able to get the productivity and i interrupted you and i'm sorry no you're right on um Lencioni and a bunch of, of yep. well-known people say the number one attribute of a successful team is vulnerability, right? And vulnerability yep. starts with the leader. And I came up with a, a term called asynchronous vulnerability, which it's total a nerd term. So, <laughs> and it, it doesn't make sense unless I explain it, but more and more work is done asynchronously, meaning we have team members all over the country, different time zones, different locations. We're working on the same project at the same time in different locations. Actually, we're working on the same project at different times. And now teams are using Slack documents and things like that to record their work. And if I'm stuck, let's just say the company's based on the West Coast and a team member's on the East Coast, and the team member on the East Coast is stuck. They don't know what to do next. The way they would typically do it is they would put into the Slack document, hey, guys, I'm stuck. I don't know what to do. I've run into this roadblock. Can somebody help? It takes an amazing amount of vulnerability and courage to do that, right? It's hard enough in a team meeting where we're sitting around a table with no recording devices saying, hey, I need some help over here. But when you put it into a document <laughs> that mm -hmm. lives forever, and so, but disruption is happening more frequently and with greater intensity. It's, it's just doing this. Uh, technological convergence, innovation is coming faster than it ever has. Yeah. And so in a successful team, the only way to win is for everybody to admit immediately when they're stuck or when they don't understand something or when they need more information Otherwise, the timeline just gets extended. And today, the longer the timeline, the more likely it's going to fail. It's just interesting and, approach. Yeah. And so a team leader who is selfless to the point of vulnerability that goes to a team member and says, hey, I need your input here because I've never done this before. And you have this experience. Um, how can I put you in a position to win? You know, because if you win, I win. What can I do, right? That's a selfless, vulnerable statement. Well, when that team member hears that, then that allows them to go to another team member and say, hey, I'm stuck over here. You know, what did you mean by this? Help me, help me understand. And that's what Lencioni and all the research is showing is that when we are vulnerable, we can connect, solve problems faster and now in the new hybrid world where people are working in different locations, it changes everything. So asynchronous vulnerability, what it really means is trust, not dependent on time or space. I trust you and it doesn't matter where you are in the world and what time zone you live, right? Well, there's a spiritual term for that. And that word is faith. Mm. And so we can boil it down to this. The crisis we have in, in the workplace today is a, is a crisis of faith. Yeah, we've got to have faith in our colleagues. We've got to have faith across the board. Right. And so leaders don't have faith in their people, and people don't have faith in their leaders. Or in each other. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's what it comes down to. 
And so selflessness is a key ingredient to establishing trust that allows vulnerability, which creates performance and productivity. Mm -hmm. It's interesting the way you just put that. And I really like that. Um, there's a word that comes up in probably over 95% of our episodes here on the Teamwork Advantage. And that word is trust. And it's coming out very prevalent here today. So I hope the listeners are picking up on that fact of trust. Now, the other one that was in here under 13 ways to develop self healthy selflessness. And this one fascinated me, knowing the why behind their why. Now, I have always said that when someone knows why to do something, they will figure out the how. If they only know how, they will struggle in getting it done. They may still get it done, but it's going to be a much harder task. Once they know why, they're going to jump through it. So what do you mean by the why? I have to know as the leader, or you have to know as the leader, why behind the employee's why. Can you expand on that? Yeah, I'll tell a story. Uh, years ago, I was doing a two-day training at a manufacturing company, and they did steel doors and frames. So if you've ever been to a hotel or a hospital and all the steel doors and frames look the same, right? A hundred doors all look the same. That's what they did. So I go in and, and the first day I'm doing goal setting and some, some quality of life training, uh, but primarily goal setting. And the second day I was going to meet with each team and leadership and get all the goals in alignment, right? Because we, we had the big company goal that they wanted to hit revenue and growth and and then they had the team goals that would support that. And the individuals on the team would support the team goal that would hit the big goal. So we get done with the first day and leadership comes to me and they says, hey, we've got a problem. I go, what is it? They go, we got this guy on the team. Um, he's like family. And we don't know whether to, to promote him or fire him. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> so... How often do those two things come out in the same sentence, right? Should we promote him or fire him? And That's I said, what's going on? Well, basically, this guy was a 36-year-old man with an 18-year-old brain. And he worked on the floor. He could receive the raw material. He could put it in inventory. He could look at the designs. He could build any door or frame there was perfectly. I mean, he's fantastic. And then he could package it and then he could load it on the truck. And if need be, he could go and install it and teach the people at the, at the building site, how to put it in. And then he could also train everybody else on the whole floor, how to do every one of those steps. I mean, he was a master, but his problem was, is every now and then he just wouldn't show up. <laughs> he would just flake. Right. And they're like, we want to, we want to make him a manager, right? We want to give him responsibility because he's so great at it, but we can't, he's not dependable. What do we do? And so I said this, I said, what's his dream? What's his why? And they go, we don't know. I go, well, go find out. And the first time you have this conversation, they're probably not going to tell you their why, right? No, they're gonna, they'll beat around the bush. They, but they might tell you a dream. And the bigger, the size of the dream tells you a lot about that individual. 
So they come back to me and they go, oh, his dream, he wants a motorcycle. <laughs> I said, well, that makes sense. 36-year-old guy with an 18-year-old brain. And I go, chromed out Harley? And they said, no, a $2,500 used dirt bike. So this guy's been working there 10 years. He's like family to him. And his dream is a $2,500 used dirt bike. What does that tell you? I mean, that's something we can buy on Craigslist and play with it and then sell it the next day for $2,500. I mean, you know, it's not, this is not a huge risk, life-changing event. Mm -hmm. I said, fine, let's get him the bike. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to, we're going to set up an expectation that uh, he's going to come into work on time. He's going to complete all the paperwork. He's going to follow everything that you have. And when he's been doing that successfully for three or four weeks, you decide you're going to start giving him overtime. And in that overtime pay, I'm going to, uh, you're going to tell him that he's going to direct deposit that overtime pay, the extra into the motorcycle fund at his bank. And when that motorcycle fund gets to $2,000, then you're going to throw a party for him and you're going to give him a $500 bonus. And this way it's measurable. It's going to take him as long as you want it to take him to get there. He's going to demonstrate that he's learned. And this way we can help him grow and show him about responsibility and that all these things are important. And he gets his motorcycle, which should be highly motivating. So they loved it. So they go down and talk to him. And then they come back up and, we, and they say, we've got another problem. <laughs> and I go, what's the problem? They go, he doesn't have a bank account. For 10 years, they've been writing him a check that he took down to the check cashing place. So now what do we know about this guy? He lives in fear every day. He has no control over his money. He's probably paid 3% transaction fee on every check. That alone could have bought him a motorcycle Michael. over the time he worked there. I said, this is what we got to do. We got to get all Dave Ramsey on him. We got to get your CPA in here. We got to help him get a budget. <laughs> Hang you on, need... back, 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 back up a second. You got to go all Dave Ramsey on him. I love that expression. I <laughs> haven't heard anybody talk about Dave in a long time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we got to get this guy out of debt, right? We got to teach him how money works. You need, to, you need to go to the bank with him and set up a bank account, help him create a budget, help him get control over his life, because the reason he's not showing up every now and then is because he, he doesn't feel like he can control anything. I said, I don't know this guy, but I can almost guarantee you he came from a broken home. His dad left. Uh, they, you know, he took odd jobs to make ends meet, to earn a little bit of extra money, probably didn't go to college, maybe has a GED. I mean, we just went, it's, it's, I'm doing very generic things, but he has no belief or connection between the choices he makes and the results he gets because everything is chaos. Mm -hmm. Well, when you start, so when you give somebody control over something as important in their life as their financial well-being, it changes the way they think and it changes their level of responsibility in a situation. And so knowing his why allows you to dig into the deeper so issue at hand. Let me just address this because I know there's listeners right now that just heard this and go, no, I am not going to take his butt down to the bank. I, that's his responsibility. What do you tell that leader about that? Because they don't, don't want to help him. Yeah, don't be a leader. Okay. 
I mean, I, I mean, I, I talk about it in the book, but I don't like titles. I like owner or CEO, coach, leader, and team member. Three things. That's what I like. I don't like director, supervisor, manager, mm -hmm. <laughs> all those things. And the reason is, is that if we're going to grow a scalable organization, right? If that's our goal to grow us, meaning that uh, we encourage, we, we, we attract the right people on the team. What, what's the right person? They got the desire, the qualities and the abilities to grow, right? They're a good fit. So we attract them on the team. Now we develop them and we develop them very simply by saying, gosh, um, what are your goals and dreams? Where do you want to be a year from now? I mean, a year from now, do you want to be making more money, the same money or less money? And, and hopefully they're going to say more money. And then they're going to say, fantastic. My job as the coach leader is to pay you more money. That's my job. But in order to do that, you have to, through your contribution, be a part of the reason we're more profitable and growing. Does that sound fair? Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, it sounds fair. Well, great. Let's figure out what you need to develop in yourself that you demonstrate that allows you to earn more money. And so that's when, and, and then you ask the question, now, why do you want to make more money? No. Yeah. Now we're getting into the hierarchy why, of their needs. Why do you want to make more money? We, yeah. we were working with a client and we had a big sales training proposal and we asked the VP of sales. We said, uh, hey, at the end of the year, if this is successful, what does that mean? And he said, well, I had hoped we'd have at least a 10% increase in sales. And we said, why is that? And he said, well, because that would pay for the program and we would hit our goals. And then we said, why is that important? And he said, well, if we all hit our goals, that means we make more money. And I said, well, what happens then? Why is that important? He said, well, I'd want it to do it again the next year. Why is that important? Why is that important? And he, and he says, well, if we do it again next year, another 10% increase, he says, then I can get out of debt. So it changed from the company to him, right? Yep. And I said, well, why do you want to get out of debt? And he said, well, then I can build my lake house. And I said, why is that important? And then everything changed in this guy. He said, because then my grandkids will come to play. <laughs> that was his why. Yeah, we just started to get into the hierarchy there of yeah. the needs. Uh, I used to do a thing um, about highest value needs analysis along the same line and talking to uh, prospects. And that's, that's so critical. Yeah, so if I know that a team member wants to spend more time with their grandkids, then I can ask them, What's holding you back? Mm -hmm. what, what do you need to develop in order to make that happen? Interesting. Wow. I, I'm looking at the clock and you and I could keep going for another two or three hours. There's no doubt about this, but I want to hit one more thing here. Begin each day with a never give up perfect start. One of the things that that just, just that statement alone said to me was begin the day with a perfect start. Forget yesterday. It's history. We can start all over again today. And then you've got the, uh, the steps to doing a perfect start. And that's five minutes to start with a gratitude prayer 
time of reflection, 10 minutes to read or listen to something inspirational that's going to motivate you, two minutes to review your why, five minutes to journal through, 10 minutes to write out the answers to these five questions, and you get five questions here. This is powerful. How easy is this to really do? <laughs> well, this is what I encourage everybody to do. Uh, don't worry about being perfect in the perfect start. If literally, if your first step was just to get up 10 minutes earlier and you spent 10 minutes a day being intentional at the start of the day, and, and the way I would spend that 10 minutes is I would do a little bit of reflection and quiet time, and then I would think of my major projects for the day for 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. You do that. I, I, there's a statement I love, and that is either the day happens to you or you happen to the day. Wow. And we want to happen to the day. And so what happens is, is you start to build a routine or a habit and, and that 10 minutes becomes 15 and 15 becomes 20 and 20 becomes 25. Dad, um, his secret, I was speaking and somebody said, what, what was Zig Ziglar's one reason that made him Zig Ziglar? I mean, just one, what was the one thing? And there wasn't one thing, but this guy wanted one thing. So I gave him one thing and I said, here it is for 40 years. He spent the first two to three hours a day studying, researching, spending time in God's word, learning new information from, from the experts so that he could internalize and simplify what he learned in a way that he could communicate to other people for their benefit. That's how Zig Ziglar became Zig Ziglar. So everybody listening, I want you to imagine this one scenario. What if every day for a year, you started off the day and all you spent was five minutes reading or listening to something powerful, something positive, something uplifting, something to help your career, whatever the case, that you then internalized and simplified so that you could share with someone else for their benefit. And then you did, you texted somebody, you used it in a meeting, you called a friend, you, you know, and, and that's all you did five minutes a day. How different would your life be at the end of the year? You'd be a totally different person. You know, that reminds me of one of the stories your dad used to say, and I don't remember the person's name, but it was, uh, I think he was in Canada and came to the Canadian country and uh, had, could not speak English. And he basically, his goal was to sit between fairs and learn five to 10 new words every single day. And five years later, he bought the cab company. Yeah, I remember that story about the power behind that. And it's along the same lines of what you're talking about here. 100%. And how do you start the morning right with the perfect start? It's really simple. You, however, earlier you get up, that's how much earlier you go to bed the night before. Mm hmm. And it's and not you set an alarm clock. You set an opportunity clock. That's right. That's right. <laughs> and it's, and I want people to hear it's, it's not the magic isn't two or three hours. The magic is enough minutes with intentionality so that you happen to the day instead of the day happening to you. So you, you work on your to do's, your goals, your plans, you learn something new that you're going to share with someone else for their benefit. Motive is key. <laughs> it's, how do I help them? 
if your focus all day long is to learn something that helps other people, you're going to get the benefit. Yeah. Right. I've always said in a lot of times in networking groups, if you're here to get a lead, you might get one. If you're here to give leads, you will receive leads tenfold. And that's, that's absolutely the power when you do things for other people. Uh, I'm going to try and hold this up so folks might be able to pick it up and see it here right in the camera shot, the copy of your book. Um, they can go on Amazon, anywhere. And you said it's also available on audio, which I find fascinating because I'm an audio person. But as you can see, I've already flagged this several places in the book on things. And um, Tom, it's just absolutely been a privilege. And I, I, I could chat with you about this all the day long, going through things and understanding the power behind what a coach leader is and how that changes things and understanding how we could develop people. And if leaders think about developing others as opposed to just being selfish with themselves, though the, the, the dream is unlimited. Am I about right on that? 100%. And just if you're a leader or you're, you're aspiring to that position, just remember this, that every human being alive, regardless of education or where they're from in the world, on the inside, they're an economist. And what do I mean by that? They're asking themselves the questions every day. Is my leader holding me down or raising me up? And if they believe that they're, you're helping to raise them up, it, it's a totally different relationship. Yeah. And selflessness is the start to that. And by helping someone else be, do, and have more, that is how you grow a successful team. That's how you, that's how you rise up is by helping those around you do better. It's, it's just, a, it's, a, it's a natural law. Yeah. As, as you said early on, that's not really changed in thousands of years. The more we help others, the more we help ourselves. That's right. So, again, I want to thank you so much for joining us on the Teamwork Advantage. Uh, I'd love to have you back again to talk about more ideas and things that we didn't touch on here today down the road. And if you're open to that, we'd love to have you back. That'd be awesome. You know, folks, people like Tom are the reason that I got involved in wanting to do this podcast. It's just the ability for me to meet and the ability for me to grow with people like him and the other guests that we have on the podcast is, is just, it inspires me to do it. And yes, I go back and I listen to episodes again and again, sometimes of my own interviews. Yeah. It's kind of hard when I hear myself talk, but I love getting the nuggets that I get from people like Tom Ziegler today. You know, folks, once a week with the teamwork advantage, People like Tom share skills that you can take advantage of immediately, including in his book. Okay, don't forget the book, 10 Leadership Virtues for Disruptive Times. Until next week, remember, having a good day is just being average. When you listen to the Teamwork Advantage, we know that you're not average. So go make today an excellent and exceptional day. Till next time, bye-bye. This has been the Teamwork Advantage with Greg Gregory. To learn more about how Greg can help your organization develop a powerful winning culture, visit teamsrock.com. That's T-E-A-M-S-R-O-C-K.com. Be sure to join Greg next week when he interviews another exciting and powerful thought leader on the Teamwork Advantage. Until then, as Greg says, make sure you have a great week because a good week is just being average.